This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Hi, this is Annie. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today we are talking about cosmetic surgery. And we're going to put it under the knife and talk about some history, some current events, some social issues. I see what you did there, oh. under the knife. Very nice. <laughs> I in a in another life, I'm a comedian. I know it. I'm a, a very bad comedian, but I am a comedian. Um, and I wanted to start off with a personal anecdote. Um, I have I have a relative. Every year for my birthday, she sends me what I call the the gift equivalent of a backhanded compliment, kind of extreme. Um, and when I was nine, she sent me two hundred dollars, which was really exciting. But it came with a note that said, better start saving up for that nose job now. Wow. Um, when you told me that you had an anecdote that you wanted to share to open the episode, I assumed that you meant, oh, my relative said this offhanded thing in passing about, you know, about my appearance that gave me a complex. This is like an intentional, an intentional thing meant to give you a complex, I think. I agree. I've thought about it a lot because... I thought and do still think it was funny, but when I tell the story, I never get the reaction I am anticipating, which is laughter. Most people just look at me like, oh, you poor dear. <laughs> uh, I am looking at you like, oh, you poor dear. Yes, can confirm, can confirm. A lot of you have written in requesting this topic, and it is a topic that raises a lot of questions, whether they're about feminism or racism or religion or culture. And the history of cosmetic surgery is not a pretty one. There's war, there's disease, there is racism. But before we get into that, we're going to do an overview. And first off, we have to say there are medical reasons like cleft lip and cleft palate and comfort reasons to get plastic or reconstructive surgery. Breast reduction is a good example. Um, But today we are focusing on cosmetic surgery for purely aesthetic reasons. And We're not here to make anyone feel guilty. I have friends that have gotten cosmetic surgery and they tell me it really boosted their confidence and a part of me is really glad. And another part is like, I really wish you didn't feel like you needed to look a certain way to boost your confidence because it is really idealized standard that we're going for. And it's a run-on sentence because my feelings around this are complicated. Yeah, I have similarly complicated feelings. Um, Even though I think of myself as this confident feminist woman, I've, I've always wanted plastic surgery um, when I was in high school, I want, I, I was like the girl who was saving up money for a boob job because I wanted a boob job so badly when I was younger. Um, and what's funny is that, um, my family, all the women in my family have a very specific body type and that is really large breasts and then kind of like big, like shapely bottoms. Like we are, we are, if, if you saw all of my family in a lineup, you would say those are women that are related to each other. And my mom has huge breasts. She had a breast reduction surgery when I was in high school that was completely life-changing. Um, she, the amount of money that this woman would spend on you know, specialized bras was just through the roof. But I'll never forget like wanting so badly to be the body type that the rest of the women in my family were. And when my mom was... This is an, an anecdote that's say with me. When my mom was getting her breast reduction surgery, her surgeon looked at me and was like, oh, are you her daughter? And I said, yes. And he said, come back and see me in a few years when you want to get yours added on. Because oh I, was, I was so flat-chested. Oh. <laughs> Bear in mind, I was like 14. 
What a thing to say. <laughs> to a 14-year-old, I think he was just thinking of it as a surgeon, right? But right. Um, so yeah, I just want I I say that because I don't, I really, really don't want anyone to think that we are suggesting that you, if you want to augment your looks for any reason, whether it's for comfort, because you know, you have back issues from large breasts, or because you want, you know, you feel like you'd be more confident with bigger breasts, a, bit, a smaller nose, you know a different kind of chin, whatever. Um, I I don't want anyone to think that we're saying you can't be a good feminist and st- and like have fake boobs because I'm not saying that. And I wanted fake boobs for a very long time. And it wasn't until I realized that when you have bigger boobs, you actually have to spend a lot of money on bras sometimes that I mm-hmm. sort of was like, oh, well, that actually doesn't sound very fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I am not judging what anyone has done. You know, I, it's like body autonomy. It's your body. Yeah, we're not looking to sound judgmental for sure. And there is an old sminty blog post that previous host Kristen wrote called Can Plastic Surgery Stop Bullying? That's worth a read and it touches on a lot of what we're going to talk about. But before we get started, let's let's talk about the difference between cosmetic and plastic surgery. As part of their training, plastic surgeons have to complete 150 cosmetic surgeries along with training for surgeries that are reconstructive. Cosmetic surgeons, on the other hand, have to complete 300 cosmetic surgeries to get board certification, and cosmetic surgeries are focused on appearance enhancement and they are considered elective. Here in the United States, most cosmetic surgeries aren't covered by insurance unless it's something that causes discomfort, like eyelids that impair vision or rhinoplasty for hindered breathing. Um, those, those are two good examples. And because plastic surgery is so common these days, it's actually gotten a lot safer and the cost has gone down. Also, the recovery time, like you, you need less time to recover. When my mom got her breast reduction surgery, she was out of commission for several weeks. I don't know that that would still be the case today. Um, because of that, though, the number of people who are getting surgery for purely aesthetic reasons has been steadily increasing. Um, and again, even though it's better that it's safer and costs less and it's more affordable and the recovery time is less, let's be real. These are still surgeries. You know, There's always going to be danger involved, but they have become a lot more common and a lot more safe. Yeah, so much so that there are even reality TV shows based on transformative surgeries like Extreme Makeover, which I thought was about houses. <laughs> I was going to say, let me guess, you did, you did not, you were not a consumer of that particular brand of media. I had I, I, I a sense. <laughs> you got that feeling about me? Yeah, I definitely thought that was about houses. Um, and this type of entertainment actually isn't new. In 1924, when the New York Daily Mirror ran an ad in search of the, quote, homeliest girl in New York with promises that a cosmetic surgeon would make a beauty out of the winner. <laughs> I say in heavy quotes. Um, Never fear embarrassment, the ad reassured. Upon publication of their pictures, masks would be painted over their faces. So, Jesus. That's like that show that used to be on Fox, The Swan, which I'm sure you did not remember. No. But basically, I mean, you could, it's, the sa- it's like the same premise um, also maybe like a little meaner almost because it was women who were supposed to be not desirable or like not conventionally attractive and they would get all this like work done on themselves and then at the end it will be revealed so it's supposed to be ugly duckling and then the swan. I just think those shows are so, it's almost grotesque. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. One, I'm disappointed it wasn't about a swan, just like <laughs> with melodramatic music, trying to maybe narration in the background. Um, and two, I have some friends that I stayed with last weekend that definitely consume a lot of reality TV where I don't. She's not referring, she's not referring to me, by the way, because <laughs> you could this be, case. <laughs> but it, it's not me. Um, they were watching a show about, about models, and I... It it really put like a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach um, watching it. It was not entertaining for me at all. And I feel like shows like this swan would would do the same thing if I watched it. Yeah, they're actually, I mean, honestly, some are more grotesque than others. Two come to mind. I'm an expert on reality TV, so it's just a, a niche thing that I know quite a bit about. Um, one that comes to mind is the show on, I think, Oxygen, where it's the beauty pa- the child beauty pageant Honey Boo Boo. 
basically her mom is Mama June. And Mama June had, you know, when Honey Boo Boo was becoming a, a famous figure or whatever, on the, in the pageant scene, they had this kind of weird um, situation where it turned out that Mama June had been dating like a convicted um, sex criminal. Oh. And everyone was like, like, it was like he was like a pedophile. And so the show went off the air and then they rebooted it as a show about Mama June, who was a heavier woman and, you know, not someone who was conventionally attractive. Um, the show rebooted as um, called From Hot to, or From Not to Hot. And so it was her getting plastic surgery, you know, getting liposuction, all of this. And it just was like a really grotesque sideshow that had these really troubling roots because at the end of the day, like this is a family that, you know, like the whole, the whole thing just really drove home the sideshow aspect to the shows that you're talking about. Another show is botched where the whole point of the show is people who got bad plastic surgery, like people who for lack of a better word were botched. Like they, they, and, and showing, showing the bad plastic surgeries, like the plastic surgeries where, you know, it doesn't look good and they look really uh, grotesque. Like it's, it's just a weird, it's like, it's like a modern day sideshow, I guess is what I'm saying. Like a, like a freak show or something. Yeah. It's, it's strange. Um, aside from shows like that, the a cosmic surgery is a big business. Um, Americans spent more than $16 billion on cosmetic surgeries and minimally invasive procedures like Botox in 2016. Women make up 86.2% of procedures, but 90% of cosmetic surgeons are male. Wow. And if we're talking about the surgery that I wanted all through high school, <laughs> breast implants, nearly one out of every 250 American women got implants in 2015, which comes out to about 627,000 fake boobs. That same year, according to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, 15.9 million cosmetic procedures were performed in the United States, and that is up 115% since the year 2000. In that same time range from 2000 to 2015, breast lifts have increased 89%, buttocks lifts 252%, Lower body lifts, 3,973%, and upper arm lifts, 4,956%. Fun side note, maybe? I have a friend who calls, she's very Southern, and she calls, like, arm fat, hi, Helens. Because when you hi wave your, your arm, like, hi, Helen, that's when it'll jiggle. Oh, oh, I, I see it. Yeah. I'm, you guys can't see me, but I'm waving and there, there go my hi, Helens. Hi, Helen. I don't know if that's a Southern thing or not, but it sounds very Southern to me. <laughs> 2015 is also known among the biz as the year of the rear, with estimates putting the average at one butt implant every 30 minutes of every day that year. Wow, that is a lot of booty. <laughs> it is a lot of booty. The top five procedures in 2015 were breast augmentation, liposuction, nose reshaping, eyelid surgery, and the tummy tuck. And I found this really interesting. Thinking about those sort of minimally invasive procedures, the top five of those were Botox, soft tissue fillers, chemical peels, laser hair removals, and microdermabrasion, which I guess I didn't even really think about as cosmetic surgery, but I guess they are. Yeah, I kind of hadn't put that in the same bucket either. Like we said in our bad sex episode, labiaplasty increased the most in 2016, up 45% from 2015. And Americans account for the largest portion of cosmetic surgery procedures worldwide at 18%. Now, this is according to the International Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery in 2017. Brazil is a close second with about 11%, followed by Japan, Italy, and Mexico. But, and I found this really interesting, the top spot might should go to South Korea, sometimes called the plastic surgery capital of the world. The industry isn't regulated there, which makes keeping track of numbers pretty difficult. Up to 80% of the surgeons operating in South Korea aren't certified, and they're known as ghost doctors, which is a horror movie I've seen in a different life, but that's separate. Somewhere between one-third and one-fifth of South Korean women are thought to have undergone cosmetic surgery, along with a little less than one-fifth of men. There's even an improvement quarter, with 400 to 500 clinics or hospitals in the space of a square mile. 
A story published in The New Yorker claimed that it's fairly common for a relative to say that you'd be better looking with, insert cosmetic surgery thing here. And it's not an insult, so maybe my relative is just cottoning off of that. <laughs> the most popular surgery is blefloroplasty, which is when a crease is put into the eyelid to make the eyes look larger. And this procedure became popular after the Korean War when Koreans wanted to get more Western eyes, particularly among sex workers, looking for an American clientele. Now, blefloroplasty is a common gift for high schoolers. Yeah, we had a um, foreign exchange student from South Korea, and when she graduated and went back to South Korea, um, that was her, her and her sister, that was their gift, was that was getting that surgery. Which, at the time, we were like, what? Plastic surgery for your graduation present? But... I guess it's a thing. It is a thing. And a, a popular look among South Koreans is called Bagel Girl, which is baby-faced and glorious. And an example of a, a questionnaire from uh, one of these places that you'd fill out before you'd go in to get, to get your cosmetic surgery, the question is, if you get the result you want from plastic surgery, what's the thing you most want to do? A, upload a selfie without using Photoshop. B, get a lover. C, find a job. D, enter a competition for face beauty. Hmm, interesting options there. Um, <laughs> especially the upload a selfie without using Photoshop. I know we'll talk more about this going on in the episode, but I and I and I know people have heard of me get on my social media Instagram perfection soapbox many, many times before. So we're doing that again right now. <laughs> but I do think there's something to this idea that people get confused with Photoshop and face filters where we don't understand what, what an actual human face looks like anymore. That we had this idea that, you know, your face is supposed to look like it does, but it has doggy filter on it. And it's, you know, that's not necessarily true. Yeah, not at all. And I do think one of the things that really stuck out to me doing this research is I was surprised at how many people have gotten cosmetic surgery. And in my own life, I've been surprised to find out people who have gotten it. And it makes me wonder if I am looking at someone and thinking, oh, I wish I looked like that, or I wish my nose was like that, or I wish I didn't have wrinkles there. If, they, if, I've, if I'm unaware of how many people around me have had cosmetic surgery that I'm comparing myself to. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I mean, I had, that had not occurred to me because you might not necessarily know when you look at someone that they've had work done. And so if you're, if you're, I mean, it's just, just another way, another trap of us getting stuck in this idea of, of unattainable beauty and perfection that no one could, could achieve without a little, you know, a little, a little nip and a little tuck. Right, right. Um, and another interesting thing I found is that American cosmetic surgeons get cosmetic surgery at a much higher rate than the rest of the population. And they sort of see it as an advertisement for their work. It makes sense. Although um, the female surgeons got breast augmentation at lower rates than the rest of the population. What do you think that means? I, I don't know. I thought about this a lot because um, this is an article on our, our very own site, How Stuff Works. And... Uh, they were interviewing one woman in particular, and she said that it's just seen as more, uh, like your face is more of the billboard. And so it's like easier work to to do and recover from, I suppose, as as compared to any sort of implants. So I guess it's like an easier <laughs> billboard to buy out. It is interesting, though. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, that would almost be like if you went to a Ford dealership and the guy who was selling you your Ford, who was like, oh, this is a great Ford, this is a great Ford, he drove a Camry. People <laughs> 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 would be so surprised, like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious. That, I, found that, I find that so curious. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the question this inevitably brings us to is why are so many people deciding to modify their looks with cosmetic surgery? And the answer may seem obvious, but I think it is 
absolutely worth looking into, when Bonnie Berry conducted her study examining beauty and the discrimination and bias surrounding it, she came to the conclusion that around half of all Americans are unhappy with their looks, which she thinks is because of the way the media and culture portray beauty. But people have been taking part in painful corrective surgeries before anesthesia, before antiseptics, way, way before we were constantly bombarded with images of the ideal beauty standard. And we'll get into some history after a quick break for word from our sponsor. Got to tell you about Best Fiends. It's a game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number two plays it sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out, which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know, there are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there. Hit download Best Fiends for free, Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends without the R, Best Fiends. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So we know, listeners, it's been rough for a lot of people out there. And we've been very open about our experiences with therapy and how it's been so helpful for us in the past and in the present. And because of that, we wanted to highlight a service that we think might be of help to you all, BetterHelp, which offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help. You can talk with your counselors in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. And BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas. They can give you access to help that might not be available in your area. And you just have to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with a counselor in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is an affordable option and our listeners get 10% off your first month with a discount code MOMSTUFF. Get started today at betterhelp.com slash momstuff. That's better H-E-L-P.com slash momstuff. Talk to a therapist online and get help. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So humans have been modifying the way their bodies look for a long time, whether through tattoos, piercing, or scarring. Cosmetic surgery, or at least the foundations of it, has been around for centuries. Some of the techniques have been around longer than that, since before the Common Era. The ruling class in Asia in particular was big on utilizing these techniques for an early kind of rhinoplasty. And in a 6th century before Common Era book out of India, the healer Shashruta described performing skin grafts for cosmetic surgeries. So that's, that's a pretty long time. <laughs> By 1000 CE, rhinoplasties had grown pretty popular. This was because of the practice of cutting off the noses and upper lips of captured soldiers. So many of our cosmetic surgeries began this way as a treatment for soldiers wounded during conflict. Yeah, I found that really surprising. I didn't know anything about the history of plastic surgery as it relates to soldiers who had been um, captured and deformed in that way. It's really, we've come such a long way from those roots. I don't think most people know that. I don't think so. When we go in to get Botox or whatever, people are thinking... Oh, the long storied history of war and conflict. Um, written records from the 16th century out of Britain and elsewhere in Europe describe barber surgeons who specialized in fixing perceived facial deformities. And the reason it comes up when historians talk about cosmetic surgery is because at the time, an ugly face was seen as a reflection of who you were on the inside. The sentiment of it's the inside that counts did not exist. And in fact, your physical presentation was understood as a reflection of your inner self and your morality. Big, wow. serious business. Because of that, your outward appearance impacted your status and social mobility in a major, major way. And yes, it still does, but for different reasons. <laughs> and we're going to talk more about that later. And it shows you how important this idea was that people would risk their lives and endure excruciating pain to correct it. 
but it, it was really risky. Most of the first cases of this happening were for incredibly stigmatized things, particularly the loss of nose associated with syphilis. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. The early form of a nose job was called a pedicle flap graft, which is often miscredited to Dr. Harold Gillies in 1915 as a way of reconstructing the faces of World War I soldiers. Gillies is seen as the father of modern cosmetic surgery, at least to some people, again, primarily for wounded soldiers. 2,000 soldiers from the 1917 Battle of Psalms alone. Okay, so the pedicle flap graft. Basically, this entails cutting some skin off of a patient's forehead or their arm, and in the case of the forehead, holding it down and stitching it. If the skin came from the arm, according to a diagram published in 1841, to make sure the skin grafted onto the nose, the patient's arm would be harnessed in a raised position, um, probably making your Hello Helens flap all the time. <laughs> um, and so you sort of attach to the, it's, we'll include the diagram. It's, it's so, it's complicated to explain, but you basically attached the, the arm in a raised position to the face during the healing period to make sure that that skin did indeed graft. Um, we looked at the pictures of it. It looks ridiculous. It looks quite brutal. And I just, how long can you keep your your arm in that position without doing damage to your arm? I have questions. Yeah, it's got to, it's got, I can only imagine how uncomfortable that must be. So. And how, how long is that healed? Because again, like you just mentioned, we're, when I think of a healing period for cosmetic surgery in 2018, I'm thinking a week or two. This was back in the 1800s. You would have to have your hand like that for kind of a while, I bet. I would guess so, yeah. But two things happened in the 1800s that made cosmetic surgery more commonplace. The first was William Morton, an American dentist, performed the first painless operation in 1846. And to do this, Morton gave ether to the patient, either through a handkerchief or through a bellows. And if done improperly, this could be fatal. And the second thing was, in the 1860s, um, several European countries adopted Joseph Lister's surgical practice of using antiseptic to accomplish sterile surgery. But uh, despite those advancements, um, the methods didn't really improve. They still did the arm harness attached to the face thing for rhinoplasty with the new addition of a hot wax injection, which was then sculpted by the surgeon into whatever shape they were looking for. It didn't always work, and it sometimes backfired, resulting in disfigurement and or wax cancers or paraphenomas. John Orlando Rowe did discover a way to perform surgery inside the nose in the 1880s so no scar would develop. And that was something people really wanted so people, other folks, couldn't tell that they had gotten the surgery. And that brings us to the new millennium. Advertisement for the Derma Feature Company included surgeries for, quote, humped, depressed, or ill-shaped noses, protruding ears, and the finger marks of time, which is just a fancy way of saying wrinkles. The finger marks of time. It's a, it's a very poetic It is. Phrasing. That's something I would say is like a slam poetry event. <laughs> the finger wrinkles of time. And Thank then, you very much. That's my poem. <laughs> that, that, that's it. The one line and then you walk off. <laughs> <laughs> it would be dramatic. It would be very dramatic. Ads for cosmetic surgery weren't really targeted towards women at first. And in fact, it was the opposite. Um, what was more common for women to come across were those devices I'm sure a lot of you have seen that look like they're something out of a horror movie, and they promised all kinds of things that, of course, they generally didn't deliver on. At one time, these contraptions were more common than makeup. I have to say, those advertisements, we associate them with the days of yesteryear, but there are still all kinds of face contraptions that you know promise the world in terms of skincare. And I have to say, I have bought and tried most of them. There's nothing I like more than a, than a you know, like, a, like some sort of face. Like I, I don't know. Like the, um, I have this mask that emits a light that's supposed to help with acne. Whether it does or not, who knows? But whenever I see them, I'm like, oh, that looks so weird. I have to try it. <laughs> I have to say, a mask that emits a light. <laughs> if you saw a picture of it, you it would freak you out. It's a. Um, yeah, it's called the Light Therapy Acne Mask, and it looks like a, like, I want you to look, a, look up a picture of it. It's like if a Michael Myers mask and a Daft Punk space helmet had a baby. That's what it looks like. 
And then you put it on your face at night. And then, you know, when your roommate or your boyfriend comes in, they're like, what the hell is happening in here? <laughs> I do see a lot of opportunities for, uh, for pranks, for scaring people. What color are the lights? Pink. Oh, of course. <laughs> so it's, it's actually, it's actually like, a, like a kind of a, it's a, oh, actually sometimes they can be blue. Mine is pink. Sorry, I'm looking this up now. I didn't know they made them in blue. Well, I'm sure the blue is for dudes. <laughs> even, even our creepy acne face masks have to be gendered. The patriarchy. <laughs> the patriarchy. Can't let, a, let us have anything. Okay, we got to get back on check here. I'm going to ask you more questions off mic about this, but... <laughs> <laughs> the most requested cosmetic surgeries were to achieve the white beauty standard, of course, the white nose in particular. And twisted up in that was the legacy of that nose left behind by syphilis that people wanted to avoid. In the early days, no one wanted breast enlargements. They wanted breast reductions because smaller breasts were associated with white women and also are maybe because of that were seen as a sign of youth and of sexual control. And during the flapper era of the 1920s, it wasn't uncommon for a woman to want smaller breasts to fit into that flapper look and also those flapper clothes. Some of the first movie stars in burgeoning Hollywood got cosmetic surgeries in the 20s to increase their odds of getting more leading roles. Breast implants aside, the breast pendulum moved in the other direction when small breasts took on a different connotation in the 50s. Then they were a sign of an unhappy woman with a medical condition, I really think that you can see this when it comes to like actresses and models, how it kind of, how certain body types sort of go into fashion and out of fashion for a while. Like in the 90s, the look was big, kind of big watch boobs. Actresses with small boobs were associated more with like class and wealth, like your Gwyneth Paltrow's, that kind of thing. And then if you had big boobs, I think you were so, meant to sort of be seen as like trashy. Yeah, I can definitely see that playing out in our in our entertainment. They're more sexualized for sure, bigger boobs. Yeah, so it definitely seems to be something that kind of swings along this pendulum of what is and is not in style. Um, in 1962, the very first silicone breast implant surgery took place in Texas. And when you're talking about the history of cosmetic surgery, to back up a little bit, you have to mention Dr. Charles Miller, who has been called the father of modern cosmetic surgery by some and an unabashed quack by others. Miller started off his career as a clinical surgeon, and soon after setting up his own practice, he started to publish articles on featural surgery, over 20 articles in 1907 alone. His textbook, Cosmetic Surgery, The Correction of Featural Imperfections, hit the shelves that same year. He fell off the radar for a bit in legal trouble over his ownership of three quack drugstores, but he made a comeback as an editor in 1915 and started his own journal in 1924. He went as far to recommend that some nerves in the face should be severed to keep wrinkles from, from forming. Though the cosmetic surgery world would, for the most part, like to forget about him, he was one of the first that recognized and wrote about the societal concern around mostly feminine beauty and its market value. Now Miller, who often condemned quack doctors in his articles, is remembered as one himself. That's history for you. <laughs> <laughs> 1921 was a pretty big year when it comes to shifting views around cosmetic surgeries. That year, the American Association of Plastic Surgery had their first meeting, and it was the first year of the Miss America pageant. Consumer beauty culture, particularly for women, really started to take off. Over the next couple of decades, beauty came to be seen as less of a natural indicator of personal character granted by God, and more of a thing that you could change if you wanted to. And cosmetic surgery is really wrapped up in all of that. As the number of people electing to get work done has gone up, researchers have been digging into why that might be. And we'll get into some of those reasons after a quick break. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. 
And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to hellofresh.com slash momstuff80 and use code momstuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's hellofresh.com slash momstuff80 and use code momstuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit hellofresh.com for more details. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use arches and halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products, too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Now, a big trend in the cosmetic surgery world that has caused a lot of concern and anxiety is that more and more teenagers are getting them. In 2014, 64,000 cosmetic surgery patients were between ages 13 and 19 in the United States. One reason that experts think the number of teens getting surgery is rising has to do with the media, celebrities, social media especially. When a 17-year-old Kylie Jenner revealed that she had gotten lip fillers, many on the internet felt pretty strong feelings about it. The number of teens seeking cosmetic surgery has prompted proposals to put a minimum age in place depending on the procedure. Another reason teens might be getting cosmetic surgeries is the same reason Bonnie Berry arrived at in her study that we mentioned at the top of the show. Unhappiness with your looks, it seems like the most obvious answer. A 2009 study into why young American women go through with cosmetic surgery found that body dissatisfaction was the biggest predictor of interest in cosmetic surgery. And according to Dr. Judy Rosenberg, a clinical psychologist, Our culture makes it so socially acceptable to seek plastic surgery, and because celebrities create the idea that if you are beautiful and perfect, you will be rich, famous, and loved, teens easily associate this with plastic surgery solution as a pathway to feeling better. For parents, she advises getting to the heart of why your child wants cosmetic surgery before okaying a cosmetic surgery. That makes me so sad that young people feel that way, but again, it's not just young people I think all of us can get caught in that, whether you're 17 or, you know, 47. I think it can be tempting to think that your life would be improved if you could just lose that weight, fix your nose, have the perfect hair, whatever. Yeah, and I just think of how insecure I was at that age. And it's such a formative time. And if there is bullying happening and you think... If, if only I looked this way, then things would improve. I, I can absolutely see why, why people, young people, would go through with this. Yeah, and, you know, I, we talk a lot about reality TV and social media. Research actually backs up her point that reality TV can have a big impact on how young people feel about their bodies. More than one study has found that people who watch reality TV shows about cosmetic surgery report an elevated influence to go get the procedure themselves. And so if you watch... The Swan or Extreme Makeover or, you know, those shows, you might think, oh, liposuction or a nose job, that's what I'm missing. It sort of normalizes it for you, I would imagine. I mean, it kind of makes sense that people who watch that that type of media would would consider getting cosmetic surgery as compared to people who don't. Religion is actually another big predictor. The more conservatively religious a person is, the less likely they are to seek out cosmetic surgery. And of course, things like anorexia and body dysmorphia might be factors too. 
Body dysmorphia, or BDD, is a mental condition that causes extreme preoccupation with a physical flaw that is either invisible or minor to others. And something tangentially related that we sort of mentioned at the top um, (laughs) is getting a lot of traction with the news right now is being called Snapchat dysmorphia. And this is an increasing number of people who are seeking out cosmetic surgery to look like their selfies with the the filters and the smoothing and all these other enhancing effects. Snapchat dysmorphia describes that. One report found that 55% of facial plastic surgeons saw patients who wanted to look more like their selfies. 55% coming in and showing a plastic, a cosmetic surgeon, a picture of themselves and saying, I want to look like this. Um, young girls who regularly edit and share selfies experience higher levels of body dissatisfaction than those who don't. One of my favorite writers, Nancy Jo Sales, has spent years interviewing teen girls with a focus on their relationship to social media. And she found that a lot of her subjects viewed things like lip enhancements as a form of empowerment and feminism, but at the same time, desired to keep those same procedures a secret, which is not super empowering. She speculated that this is in part because of the ads and other media linking sexualization to feminism. Or in her words, quote, some young women think that even raising the question is being sexist. That's the dirty little trick of this messaging. Anyone who questions whether sexualization is feminism is, quote, sexist. And when writing about this over at Harper's Bazaar, Kathleen Hale surmised, quote, everyone admitted that being on Instagram often made her feel insecure but no one would admit to getting cosmetic surgery because of that insecurity, because that's off-brand. Insecurity isn't marketable. It doesn't jive with our stylized version of feminism. And most of all, it isn't pretty. You can dress up plastic surgery however you want. You can give it feminist injections, but we do it because we doubt ourselves. And in an age of carefully curated, branded self-expression disguised as honesty, that's the one thing women aren't talking about the eternal truth that predates even my Stone Age 80s birth, there is nothing less attractive than a lack of confidence. And there's nothing feminist about plastic surgery. It's just female. And (laughs) side note, if it helps, I'm way insecure. So I'll just say it out there. Oh my God, I am... Yeah, I am very (laughs) insecure. Aren't we all though? We all are. We all are. I was in high school. I was so insecure. I was like obsessed with my, with how I looked. And I, I thought I looked awful all the time. Um, I think it go, I, I wouldn't say that insecurity goes away as you get older. I think that you just become more comfortable with your body. At least I have, um, I'm still insecure, but you know, this is my body is my body. And like, this is, this is, this is, the hand I've been dealt, <laughs> you know. So you may as well like just learn to live with it. <laughs> this is the hand I've been dealt is excellent. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. I'm, no, not, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not. I'm not like down on my looks, but I think that like when we, I think that in, in a kind of way, it's a sort of self a self acceptance where you know you're. I'm never gonna have the perfect this, the perfect that, the perfect this, the perfect that. So I just have to like like the way that I am and like, accept it and it's and it's flawed. Harry beauty. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, and also, before we move on to the next thing, I did want to mention, uh, like, stylized feminism sort of sounds like a type of cool girl to me. Just food for thought, perhaps. And as far as cosmetic surgery and feminism goes, I mentioned at the top my complicated feelings around it, and the internet tells me that these complicated emotions are um, shared by a lot of feminists. Ultimately, it's up to the woman if she has the monetary resources to afford it, which is an added layer to this discussion. And you can think about makeup and shaving, bringing up similar anxieties, although cosmetic surgery is a bigger, more permanent thing than shaving or makeup, unless you're combining the two into like laser hair surgery or permanent makeup. But Similarly, as with those things, it's your body, your decision. There's no one-size-fits-all answer, and you can totally be feminist and do all of these things. Um, But on the flip side, it is worth asking why so many of us and so many women in particular are getting these cosmetic surgeries. Whose ideal are we trying to meet? And keep in mind that the bar for how a woman should look keeps on moving, you know, that pendulum. Sometimes it's big boobs, sometimes it's small boobs, sometimes it's a big butt, sometimes it's a small butt. 
And now we have the tools to reach that bar before it moves again. It's just another one of those tightropes that as women that we're supposed to walk, where you're penalized if you don't look a certain way, financially and socially. But if you undergo surgery to get that look and people find out, then you're condemned as vain, silly, wasteful, and probably a bad feminist. And find out because as we've alluded to, a lot of women are keeping their procedures a secret. Um, That's probably why subtle is the cosmetic surgery trend of the moment. And all of this does tie into something we talk about so often on the show, which is how women are valued on their appearance, and in particular, the appearance most desired by men. If we think about things like the beauty gap, showing that more traditionally attractive women get paid more and are perceived as more confident, it's easy to understand how a lot of folks see cosmetic surgery as a way to expand their opportunities in life. And I think that really plays into a lot of what we talk about on the show, that it's really not fair to demonize women when we are sort of dealt this bad hand to begin with, that we, ha- we are expected to be all of these things that nobody could possibly be. And if we want to get ahead socially, financially, we have to figure out a way to make it work, to make the impossible sort of work. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think that we, we, when we demonize women for getting plastic surgery, it's just another way of th- throwing other women under the bus when we should be throwing the patriarchy under the bus. <laughs> And I think Cherry Healy, who was the presenter of Sex, Knives, and Liposuction, would agree with you. She said she cried every day while working on that project. Quote, It was so, so challenging to make sense of it. Because for one woman, surgery will change their life and they will feel happy and they'll have wished they'd done it 10 years earlier. And for another woman, it will ruin her life. And for another woman, it's the best use of that 30 grand. And for another woman, that will stop her traveling the world and buying a flat. There is not one rule. And she went on to say she doesn't judge a woman who gets cosmetic surgery because, quote, she lives in a world that tells her every single day, hundreds and hundreds of times, that we like beautiful people and we prefer beautiful people. And if you're not beautiful, you displease me because you're an ornament for me to enjoy. Mm. Yeah. So the conclusion is we can't win. (laughs) Um as long as we live in a society where we value women on their looks and punish them for signs of age, it's no wonder, at least to me, so many are opting for cosmetic surgery. And it can be hard to separate out what's something you want for your own sake or something society has conditioned you to want. So therapists suggest getting to the bottom of that first before committing to cosmetic surgery, if, if possible. Those, it's really hard to un, untangle those things, but... Um, worth worth asking the question for sure. And speaking of asking the question, one step that we can take is having this conversation out in the open. So we want to hear from you. Have you had plastic surgery? What are your thoughts on plastic surgery? Did you get it and regret it? Did you get it and it changed your life? We want to know it all. You can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. And this brings us to listener mail. Our first letter is from Heather. She wrote, I want to thank you for putting into words almost exactly my thoughts during the whole situation. And this was uh, in regards to our episode on the immigration issue and separating families. Hearing your justified rage made me feel a little less crazy when trying to sort through the mess. Second, towards the beginning of the episode, you mentioned that the Bible verse the administration used to justify separating families actually didn't, so we should ignore it. I would argue that we should ignore that regardless of if it justified it or not. I want to add here, since people often accuse me of being anti-religious, that I am a very religious person and I try to live my life according to the Bible, but the U.S. is not a theocracy. We actually have two really great concepts written into our government called separation of church and state and freedom of religion. Freedom of religion forbids the federal government from enforcing or endorsing religion, and separation is the idea that church and state don't go together and that religion has no space in the state. By trying to use the Bible to justify their actions, the government is basically ignoring those two very important parts of our Constitution and rights. Quoting scripture as a reason behind national policy makes it so that politician is basically endorsing that religion and forcing it onto people who don't subscribe to that religion or any religion. I have no problem with politicians using religion in their private lives to justify personal things like whether or not to divorce his or her spouse or to not accept a living stipend. However, when it comes to political discourse and policymaking, I believe any argument using religion or a religious text should automatically be invalid regardless of if I agree with the policy or not. 
completely agree, completely agree. I, I as I've gotten older, I've noticed more and more how many how many things that we just take for granted in our society that have religious <laughs> like reasoning behind them in politics. And it, I've grown angrier and angrier about it. So completely agree. Yeah, we could do an entire episode breaking down some of that stuff. Some of it you might even might not even notice. Like how many times are there religious connotations to I mean, our money says and God we trust, you know, like it's everywhere. It is everywhere. Absolutely. Felix wrote, I'm a queer trans man. Most of my adolescence, I considered myself, quote, not like other girls. Spoiler, it's because I wasn't a girl. I found that my guy friends would often view me as, quote, one of the guys or try to put me in a cool girl box, despite lacking the obligatory traditionally attractive factor, wasn't particularly good at that, but I still had male friends crushing. I've spoken to my trans peers and found that many trans guys and trans masculine folks find this, especially when they're attracted to men, because in many cases, we do have masculine interests and lean toward more masculine behavior. I used to have nerdy male friends develop crushes all the time to the point where I'd act standoffish and rude just to put them off the, quote, cool girl. It didn't usually help. When I transitioned, I realized how much I'd been holding back in my friendships, particularly with straight men, because I didn't want to have to reject them and have that have an impact on our friendship. I don't think that cishet men realize the amount of constant analysis that women in AFAB, assigned female at birth people, often end up doing even when it comes to friendships. It's pretty exhausting. Yeah, that is. this is a good letter. Thank you for writing in, Felix. It is exhausting. Um, I also just really, I find it very interesting how um, cool girl sort of translates through your experience. I do too. As we've lamented a lot on this show, most of the research we find is focused on heterosexual folks. And um, it's always wonderful to hear from listeners that can give more nuance to to whatever topic we're we're talking about and just hearing those experiences. So keep that coming. We really appreciate it. And if folks want to send us emails, how can they do that? They can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And you can always find us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You and on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. And thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Howard. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson. And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We both have our own businesses, and between us, we have seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs, but the stories of women, they remain incomplete. We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Paper Ghosts is a true crime podcast that investigates the search for the person responsible for the abductions of four missing girls in neighboring New England towns. For more than 50 years, each case has remained unsolved. Every day is like being lost in limbo. I pray every day that we find Lisa so we can go on. It wasn't until this past year that things took an unexpected turn, a breakthrough. Answers to decades-old questions and witnesses finally ready to talk. I know that that's the person that was there. I can describe what he's wearing. I can smell him a mile away. Jesus, Mary, and Josephine, I hope that's not a grave for many. Oh, You know what? I think it is. Listen to Paper Ghosts on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.